Hello and welcome to the Non-Pro Show, where we bring internet arguments into a convenient audio form. I am your host, Al, joined once again by James and our returning special guest, Kit from Nine Pants Productions. Hello, hello. Hey, everybody. We are here to talk to you about franchises, specifically what's in a franchise. What is in a franchise that like, what are these things? They came into our lives and they, they took it over like a franchise and they were there forever until they weren't and then they came back or whatever, anything. But like, what what are these things? These like like brand names we put onto a plastic lunchbox and like suddenly we, we're like, boom, we're selling it. Boom, you're selling it. Boom, you're selling it. And it's it's all about who we are. Or maybe it's not. But let's talk about that. <laughs> so I did a little bit of a prep work uh, when we were doing this, and I decided to look up the definition of, of multimedia franchise, because I figured out that's that's kind of what we'd be talking about, right? We're, we're yeah. looking at something that that spans, you know, that that spans multiple, multiple platforms, multiple identities. So uh, Wikipedia defines a media franchise, also known as a multimedia franchise, as a collection of related media in which several derivative works have been produced from an original creative work of fiction, such as a film, a work of literature, a television program, or a video game. The intellectual property from that work can be licensed to other parties or partners for further, de for further derivative works and commercial exploitation across a range of media and by various industries for merchandising purposes. Now, when we say derivative, we mean like just in part of, because people use derivative in a rather negative tone these days. Yeah, like, I think they, yeah. yeah, like you said, I think they mean a part of, right? Offshoots, branches of, you know, additional pieces of media reflecting on the original piece of media. Yeah. But I think a good place to start out here is to think about like, well, what were the first ones like when we weren't aware, when we were like, you know, tiny us, bef before we realized that corporations were trying to uh, buy our loyalties with adorable mice and other cartoon characters, uh, what were the things we attached ourselves to? Because before we really knew it, there were franchises that we were became fans of. They became big parts of our lives. I guess it's hard. I, I wonder, you know, it's even odd to think like, were they franchises at the time? Uh, so I, you know, the minute you said that, like the first one, the first one that I can think of that would have been, you know, something I became obsessed with for me had to be Power Rangers, right? But when I was watching the first Power Rangers, was that a franchise yet? It certainly is now. Because for me, uh, it would have been Sonic the Hedgehog. Ah, oh, that's a good one. Because yeah. I feel like that is one I feel like you could probably say started off more in the vein of a franchise because of the way that it was marketed because it was meant to be marketed as this thing that was always there and everyone knew about it and everyone loved it and everybody was into it i guess but even sonic right sonic obviously branches off into a, a franchise more quickly just being that it's based on a video game right so yeah. sega tries to create a a competitor for mario 
Um, you know, I think I, I feel like I just recently watched a documentary on this, but yeah, uh, I, I did as well. <laughs> yeah. The console wars. Right. And, yeah. um, you know, the, so the American office of Sega kind of helps the Japanese office come up with the Sonic, the hedgehog brand. And then obviously from there, you know, you get the first game and then you get cartoons and comic books. You know, I mean, I've got the IDW Sonic, the hedgehog comics right here on my desk, yeah. you know, so yeah, obviously that's like a big part of a franchise is just how quickly it spins off into other things. Um, you know, so, but I guess, is that always the goal, right? I, I think it's hard because, you know, we're so used to these days, studios kind of come in and, you know, you've got one successful movie and all of a sudden it's like their eyes turn into the dollar sign eyeballs and it goes cha-ching, cha-ching. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you know, one John Wick movie equals John Wick, the multimedia franchise, you know, because but it did an well. interesting example, though, James, because it took forever for John Wick to be anything more than just two films. The memorabilia for John Wick took years for anyone to get to get a hold of, and people were clamoring for it. They wanted John Wick merch really bad, and this is what I'll say. Like, I think Sonic and Power Rangers works really well as like you know opening franchises is because like Power Rangers like 100% came out the gate in the same way Sonic did, looking to be a franchise, looking to be this thing that was going to make episodes and video games and have all these like toys and stuff like they were lo they were looking for that like i mean sonic wanted to be mario he, he wanted to be sega's big poster boy that was going to make his own thing and have his comic books and have a storyline and everything else uh and the same thing was true for power Rangers. maybe not the comic books and the movie and everything else but they wanted the show memorabilia the kitchen tables uh that sorry the the bed spreads and everything else like that that was that was in there but John Wick John Wick took some time before he was a franchise uh, uh, but people wanted him to be I guess but you only need one uh, based on the definition you only need one derivative right and then yeah. to come back to this you know the idea that well Sonic Mario Power Rangers out the gate right were destined to be franchises because they were created that way I guess we, I think we need to draw a line in the sand here, particularly with these early, you know, 80s, 90s cartoons and video game properties. At what point did marketing become franchise franchising? Right. So think about it. Right. Um, I'm reminded of the, the toys that made us right. You know, when we're talking about He-Man, when we're talking about all those things like they all those things had cartoons those cartoons were just advertisements for the toys, yeah. right? It yeah. was it was really a, an extension of marketing. And I can't imagine that was any different in the mindset for something like Sonic the Hedgehog, right? Yeah. It's like, we got this video game, we got consoles, we need to sell them. We make a TV show, it sells video games, it sells consoles. We make comics, it sells video games, it sells consoles. Yeah, hey, bonus, we make... 50 cents, buck 50 off the comic. Great. Right. But the goal is to move consoles, to move video games. Right. So I think that's an interesting point. I mean, franchising is obviously, I think it means two things to two different types of people. Right. What is franchising from a business sense? Right. And then what is franchising from like our end of the, the spectrum? Right. Our, our viewers sense right you know particularly with like 
things that were out the gate are already derivative of themselves. You know what I mean? That they they come out the gate with five different iterations. Like, is that cheating as compared to, you know, maybe something that that would be a very low key franchise, um, uh, like Back to the Future, let's say, right? It's three movies. It had a, a, a mildly successful cartoon series at one point. It's got a couple of toys, action figures, collectibles, but you know, like. I, I don't think of massively successful multimedia franchise and think back to the future. Uh, I don't know if I'm waxing too much at this point, but yeah, I think there's two different, there's two different ways to look at this because I think from a business standpoint, particularly with these early franchises, these things coming out of the early eighties, late nineties, you know, franchising was another term for marketing, right. As compared to you know, more organic franchises or something that, franchises in a different way and, and i'll get to that in a minute all right so what you're uh, to recap what i think you're asking you're saying like well what does a franchise mean from like the business perspective from like i want to make my money dollars and what is a franchise from us as a fan's perspective yeah right because like i said because with like with sonic with mario you know like kit said right they they came out the gate they wanted to create this cool cat character you know so they they were they were ready with all the stuff to sell sonic the hedgehog you know, I, I do think that that is a fantastic point, because I would say to us as the consumers and as the fans that what they did could be perceived as they created a franchise uh, by the way that that term tends to be used. But you do have a point that back then it was just the way that they advertised. You sold by making those things. You sold by expanding or you you managed to sell the main product by expanding out. It wasn't yeah. that they inherently wanted a Sonic cartoon or uh, like even looking at um, Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog versus Sonic Boom. Adventures right. of Sonic the Hedgehog was made to advertise and sell the game. But Sonic Boom was not made to advertise and sell that game. It just had the same branding so that it fit under the same umbrella. It was part of the same franchise, but it was its own thing to be its own thing. Kind of. But I mean, you know, you could even make an argument that say, hey, we're going to do a new Sonic cartoon right now with the style of the new game. You know, that's a marketing move, right? Yeah. Instead of Instead of them coming in and saying like, hey... You know, oh, do it whatever style you want. Oh, you want to go classic pixel Sonic? Sure. No, they want to keep it on brand, on marketing, right? So, you know, well, and, and I love Sonic Boom. So, kid, I'm yeah, so glad Sonic you brought Boom that up. So good. Yeah. <laughs> that show, the game was not good, but that show is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think there's not a betrayal because that's the wrong word. I think we like to think of franchises as, as an organic um experience so like you know what well john wick is a good example the matrix uh maybe even star wars to some extent you know like it's a pipe dream you get one six you get one movie out there that somebody that someone by the good graces of studios having a little extra money to toss around that year let you make because on paper this seems like a bad idea <laughs> you know because these aren't things that are based off of, you know, this isn't Twilight, this isn't Harry Potter, these aren't already existing multimedia franchises by the time you get there, right? They're these these kind of offshoot things, and then they blow up. And then when they blow up, it's toys, it's 
more movies. It's trashy holiday specials. It's animatrixes. It's whatever. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like that's what we feel a franchise is. But I think there's a, a clear distinction that some of these things come out the gate to say like, well, we need to advertise this thing. We need to make this thing popular. So it's going to have 50 million pieces to it. I, you know, I'm a huge Lego Bionicle fan, right? Mm-hmm. And Bionicle comes out the gate. Lego, you know, Lego wants Bionicle to be its multimedia franchise from online shorts to CGI video discs in every uh, box to online games, eventually to movies. You know what I mean? Like they set out to do that. And is there, I'm not saying that doesn't make you a franchise, but I think that's different than a franchise by success. That makes any sense. Yeah. Uh, like in a way there is, there's a reason it exists and it's not just because of the success. It's, it's to push more than just the narrative forward. Because we can have successful movies like, uh, Knives Out, we'll say like, let's, let's go use that as an example. Knives Out is a successful film, uh, not yet a franchise. And it like, doesn't look like it has the, any, anyone expanding it or wanting to be, but right now it's just a movie. Or I think, there's there's one executive with the dollar signs in his eyes, Al, somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, or even as another example, Shakespeare in Love. I guess we could you, like these are successful <laughs> movies that just had their movie came in, um, and success didn't build a franchise, but the the intent uh, sometimes did. Or like I would argue, yes, there's an organic element to it where it sort of grows because as I've seen there are definitely a lot of times someone will attempt to build or create or make this franchise or like you know make fetch a thing and it just doesn't like for whatever reason like it's it stops at the one thing and as hard as they wanted to make it happen uh it just didn't what's a good example of that uh hold on give me a second (laughs) (laughs) everyone quiet down i gotta i gotta gotta go look this up but there's definitely uh (laughs) yeah focus yeah (laughs) the best failed multimedia franchises so actually al you know what i'll segue that into something that you said in pre-production that i think is super interesting so you said that you thought supernatural was a franchise and i would argue that it's not or if it is, it's a low, very low-key franchise, right? Because it doesn't have any other major multimedia spinoffs, right? They might have some books, some comics. Yeah. They had an anime. They did have an anime. Uh, they, had, they did an anime in season seasons. one, yeah. Yeah, yeah that they, last... uh, also in a Scooby-Doo episode? Does that count? No, Scooby-Doo <laughs> was in like them. It was technically okay. an episode of Supernatural. Um, <laughs> but you mentioned that it was on the backs of fan work. And... That is super interesting to me because by this definition that I read on Wikipedia, it says it only needs things to be derivative of it. It doesn't necessarily need to say that they're, I guess when they say that it should be licensed, that means it's official, but I don't know. I thought that was a really interesting point and I would love for you to expand on it. I think that it's something that like, it builds and expands because there became so much extra work concerning those characters or derivative of those characters, but it's all based on, we said like fan works. 
and that the fandom grew and kept itself alive outside of the show in some instances in spite of it but i don't want to get into that uh but like it's <laughs> it's interesting to me that like this franchise built itself not just on the backs of the original work or the expectations like as a counterpoint to john wick where people were clamoring for like another movie action figures i want a a bedspread of john wick um it sort of was pretty much just like oh well i'm inspired by and i enjoy this product i will go forth and make my own i will work with these uh uwu uh <laughs> cute boys i guess uh to create fiction or or like you know monster hunting of the week type stories to kind of cut my teeth on for my own personal works and that fandom grew and grew and grew so much so that there are people that are famous for their fan works in those circles um which is which is odd but it isn't exclusive to supernatural like there are definitely other people and other franchises like this my little pony is another example where that was despite already existing as a franchise the fan works are something that expanded that franchise even more like there's a term called horse famous for a reason and it's not because you're famous with horses <laughs> i have i have another fantastic example that i think would go right in the same category of what you're saying for um supernatural and i think that's undertale undertale also only really had the first game now we're getting delta rune and expanding you know into that but you had so many people making alternate universes and comics and animations and additional music and fan games and all of this stuff that it was a bit more of a gray area than with, say, Supernatural, because Warner Brothers wasn't going out and picking a fan person, you know, fan works and going, this might as well, this is kind of like offshoot canon. Whereas you did have people attached to Undertale that would be like, no, like, you know, I'm, I support people making fan art and I support you guys kind of doing what you want. Um, and a lot of what made the love for Undertale, even to this day, keep going is all of that fan work. This is... Incredible. So I, I feel like, and I don't want to get too into this because this is a whole nother episode, you know, who owns the work, right? And where does ownership lie? But I, I love this idea, right? Because I don't think Supernatural is a franchise. I, I certainly don't think Undertale would be a TM franchise in the way we think of it, right? Supernatural, you could make some argument because you're like, well, they've got that anime, they've got that RPG, they've got that one book, you know, but, but Undertale for sure, right? It's, it's bolstered. It has this mythos because of this fan community. And I think that's awesome, right? I think that's, that's really cool as compared to maybe something like, you know, The Matrix, which sure is a giant multimedia franchise that had video games and anime and multiple movies and 75% of it's kind of disappointing. <laughs> you know, yeah. when you have... When you have some direct control over it, does that make it more vibrant, more important, more, more meaningful? I'd like to propose another idea here. We talk about franchises, obviously, as being a, uh, a fictional thing, um, but that's not entirely true. Now, is it? I think you would think of um, American Idol certainly is a successful franchise, right? It has, it had toys, marketing, it had uh, fiction based off of it. It had multiple TV shows. Video games. It had, 
video games. Yeah. It had, you know, uh, a ride at Disney World, for lack of a better term. It was, I guess it was more of an experience at Disney World. It's but- close enough for government work. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, franchising is obviously not limited to works of fiction. And there are also, I think, things that have like intentionally kept themselves small or maybe should have kept themselves small. Uh, You know, I'm reminded of, you know, I guess we think of Disney's Pirates of the Caribbean as a a franchise, right? At five movies with only one good one, (laughs) you know? So I guess that's James that's is serving thing. the tea right now. <laughs> well, I guess so. That's a thing, yeah, right? Yeah. Does does it have to be good, right? It, you know, assumably, if it's going to be a franchise, if it's going to have to have people who want to enjoy all of the other derivative versions of it, you know, in, in a fan community that's almost easy to see. Because, you know, the fans are making the work. So to some extent, the fans want it. But did we want Pirates of the Caribbean 5? I think um, a good example of it doesn't necessarily have to be good. People just have to keep buying it. Would be... be, um, uh, Dollar sign, dollar sign, dollar sign. Video games that immediately come to mind. Uh, I know Al wanted me to talk about Resident Evil, but I think Silent Hill is probably one of the best examples of that because there was such a weird transition period where it was handed off to American developers who were just cranking out games to essentially kind of cash in on the name and just kind of more or less reskin some of the older games. And even though people hated them and were disappointed, they still kept buying them. We still, there have been rumors for the entirety of 2020 that we're going to get a remake of a Silent Hill game, even though there hasn't been a game that the entire fandom has agreed upon it being fantastic since, when did Silent Hill 3 come out? 2004? (laughs) 2006? You know? But that's still a franchise that continues on regardless, because there's still a fandom for it. There are still people that will go out of their way to defend some aspect of it and continue to want something from it. And I also say, like, uh, in the argument of does it have to be good, it doesn't. Uh, There are definitely franchises that have been built off the backs of how terrible their work is. Yeah. We have four Leprechaun movies. Just saying. Like that's that's absolute truth. Uh, if you want to going back way way back, I thought about there are a few examples I finally gotten to as far as like coming out the gate, want to be a franchise doesn't happen. Do either of you remember or have ever heard of Brave Star? Yes, but I think only from you. I was about to say I'm like I definitely have, but also definitely only from you. <laughs> But anyway, Brave Star was like supposed to be the next He-Man as far as like filmation and Mattel were concerned. So they bigged up this like Native American cowboy guy who went to the planet New Texas uh, to go stop some raiders from coming in. And he was all set. He had a a robot cyborg horse uh, companion who like fired a shotgun, like a love interest and like a a lich cowboy villain. It was it was a whole thing. It was a TV show lunchboxes everything and nobody gave a crap it was just it came out with all the force and vigor of like we're gonna dominate the, the world we're gonna we're it's the next he-man uh every kid's gonna want to be brave star and it just didn't hit the lunchboxes were on the shelves the toys didn't move uh the show nobody watched it was just it was prepared everything was ready the human race however 
decided it did not want to be a part of Brave Star. <laughs> as hard as it was trying, it was like, no, no, you will love me. That comes back to that organicness, I think we want from these yeah. franchises, right? When you set out there to try and be a franchise, like obviously you could put all your eggs in that wrong basket. I, I'd love to circle back to video games because I think something that fascinates me about video game franchises is that they are massive. They're massive in a way that like movie franchises and television franchises and pretty much anything except maybe book franchises. Uh, I think book franchises are maybe the only thing that could give video game franchises a run for their money. So I'm just thinking like right off the top of my head, the Shin Megami Tensai, right? Oh, yeah. So we're talking what? Uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 mainline games, right? Five if you include the Persona lines and then their spinoffs. And then, of course, you could jump into all other related media, right? Anime and manga adaptions, you know. Which there are plenty of. of. Yeah. Right. So we're talking something that is incredibly massive. And I think the only other things that I can think of that, you know, stack up to this is like long running fantasy series or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, I think Legend of Dritz with like 47 books or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, and that that exists inside, I guess, the Dungeons and Dragons franchise, which then, uh, you know, that's a whole nother can of worms, right? Yeah. Of just how big big these things can become like can a can a franchise become too big you know what i mean is it you know and this is where we can get to the negative version of derivative is it too derivative if i will never read every faroon setting book if i will never play every shin Mikami tensai game is at some point that is that too big do franchises get too big i i would say no I think Final Fantasy is a franchise that will hardly hard hard disagree with you on this because you don't have to play all the games. Like Final Fantasy is a franchise that contains other franchises in it. Like Kingdom Hearts is huge in and of itself, and you don't have to give a crap about any of the other Final Fantasy games to play it. In fact, a lot of people don't, and yeah. it's wildly successful and doesn't need its its grandfather to to hold itself up. That's just how big and bad it is. And uh, I'm I'm somebody who is very casual with my interactions with the Persona series, uh, and even with uh, Shin Megami Tensei. The only ones that I've technically played are the Devil Survivor games, and even that, I completely enjoyed my experience without having to be to take part in that larger uh, bit of the franchise because it does kind of come off as intimidating. But then it's comforting to know I don't have to consume the entirety of it. I can just kind of sit in my little corner enjoy the couple of games I have tried and then have a good experience. Because I think another another franchise where there was a bit of controversy in it that I think ended up for the best for it is the Yakuza franchise. Because that was one where the developers were so steadfast on, no, we are making this game. This is how it's going to be. We're not, you know, breaking from this. Even when they did a movie, they didn't break from the tone. And then with the last game that came out, uh, the last two games, they broke that mold a bit with Judgment and then completely 
uh, redid the battle style for Like a Dragon. And for them, it was one of the best things they could could have done because it gives them that freedom to explore an entirely new direction with a franchise that already has 15 games in it. So maybe maybe when a franchise gets that big, which then goes back to the Shin Mikami Tensei uh, franchise, you have to bring something creative to kind of break it up in order for people to to make it more palatable, maybe. Yeah, that makes sense. But going back to Final Fantasy, why it would continue to be so big and branch off in so many directions that it did is because it did continue to reinvent itself both with tone, uh, style, and just like guest starring Disney characters. And that franchise did a lot of work to keep itself relevant uh, no matter how big it got. I would argue there's a few exceptions to that that like even the Legend of Zelda franchise had to reinvent itself rather recently because I don't know what it was, but I guess people were getting – I felt it was getting long in the tooth. Or something about it, where the style just wasn't worth coming back to. I don't know. I, I, I have a very weird relationship with Breath of the Wild, but it seems to be what the franchise needed to make it back on top again, because it didn't seem like people were so irreverent to Zelda games uh, as they used to be. And Breath of the Wild came out, and suddenly it was on everybody's lips, um, and no one could say it had done any. No, it could do no wrong. The game was perfect. It was amazing. Which is interesting to talk about that game and for a lot of reasons because it certainly never felt that way from my perspective. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm kind of happy it's succeeding, which is its own weird thing having to do with franchises and customer consumption in its own way. To, for it to come up with a product that's so very successful and for you to kind of be like, well, that wasn't really what I wanted, but I'm really happy it's doing well. Uh, I, I'm invested in its success even if I'm not consuming it, which is so very strange. Well, you can also, there's an argument to, to be made, what is the franchise there, right? So uh, obviously there's Zelda, but Nintendo could be the franchise as a whole, technically, right? And to see success for Zelda to potentially mean success for maybe some of the other Nintendo games you like and things like that, you know, could be good. All right. So I've found online the top 24 multimedia franchises. Uh, okay. And I, I'm curious to go over them because I think you're going to be surprised by a couple of them. And I want to see if you can guess any of them. So the um, the bottom one should be uh, uh, of no surprise, like the 24th one, and um, is a favorite of Al's. Can you guess, Al? As a Transformers? Yeah. It sure is. <laughs> and if he didn't guess it, I was going <laughs> to. So yeah, apparently they estimate Transformers to be uh, uh, estimated at like $17.220 billion. Um, and they're counting the start time of Transformers as 1984. And the majority uh, of Transformers wealth is in merchandise, right? Yeah. So yeah. toys. We talked a lot about how merchandising is valuable a lo long while back when we did our uh, uh, the lost or the lost home of a Spider-Man episode on non-pro. Go back and give that a listen. We talk about the relationship between Disney and Sony and how merchandising matters a lot more than we think it does. So the one right above that is one that surprises me a lot. Uh, I want I, you take a guess. What do you guys think? Think is the twenty third. Can Can you give a direction like uh, uh, toy? Um, I sure can. It's an American comic. An Amer Archie, but Batman. 
Al, you're closer <laughs> with Archie. It's Peanuts. Oh. oh. Okay. Peanuts is number 24. They estimate the Peanuts franchise at $17.428 billion. Damn. Yeah. This was not something I expected to appear on this list. You know, just because it makes sense. It it does, right? We obviously think of multimedia franchises as like these big kind of major movie picture deals. And obviously, you know, Peanuts specials are... uh, strong they're valuable enough for eight to become exclusive to a streaming service we'll say that much yes but but generally you make more money off of that sort of stuff by producing more of them and that's really not what peanuts does like they had one movie a few years ago again but um yeah it's merchandising for peanuts it's the t-shirts it's the kids clothes it's the you know they it's they estimate 17.143 billion of that is in is in merchandise um all right we we don't have to go like through the whole list but let's see if we can guess some of the other the other big ones on this list um because there there are a lot of ones that you're you're will we'll know you know just when you say it garfield no no garfield's not on this list that was not one i you would have heard. bet real people mind garfield would be on nope. that list uh i i want to say spider-man and if not spider-man marvel as a whole yeah so spider-man is is singled out on this list spider-man is number 12 at a worth 27 billion dollars and uh spider-man uh what do we have here how how where does spider-man make all his money so Spider-Man's mostly merchandising, yeah. uh, again, as most of them will be, but a huge portion of Spider-Man is also now box office, yeah. right? So movies. Um, right above Spider-Man is then Marvel, uh, and Marvel is a majority box office. Yeah. Um, other ones that you would be familiar with, you know, Lord of the Rings is on here, James Bond is on here. Lord of the Rings is actually the only one that is... Um, Majority of its profits are in book sales, uh, $9.125 billion. Wow. Um, even though it has obviously a very successful movie franchise, you know, the books have been out for a really long time. Yeah. Um, surprising ones I did, didn't see, t- didn't think would be on here. Franchises like Dragon Ball Z. Um, oh, I would have 100% assumed that would be on here. Like, that's uh, huge. That, that, that was the birth of anime in the u.s uh, dragon balls at number 15 you've got um a fist of the north star below it two points at would, 17 that's the one that surprises me yeah i would have never assumed fist of the north star would be this big franchise i because like it's the anime it's like a reboot of the anime every once in a while but i guess no there's games um, that come yeah, out all the time. There's got to be so much memorabilia for it too. Yeah, it did tie in with uh, the Yakuza franchise as well. So I could see it having a really good, maybe not so much in America, but overseas could definitely still have a really big impact. So, so I'm curious here. Um, that they have uh, everything in this, uh, you know, and we'll we'll share this. Al, I'll send you the link to this so we can share it with the um with the podcast when we post it. Gotcha. But they have, um, they have everything color coded and fist of the North star, uh, is red 
uh, a majority of its money. That's seventeen point nine seven five billion. And red is video games. Yeah. No, it makes sense. So, yeah. so Fist of the North Star has made most of its money on video games. Let's see. Let's see if you can guess the one, two, three, four, five. The top five. Well, one of them's got to be Star Wars. Yeah. Star Wars is uh, number five. It is the bottom of the top five. Whoa. It makes its majority of its money on on merchandising, followed by films, then uh, home entertainment, then uh, music, uh, uh, video games, then books, uh, and then a little bit of music in there because you know John Williams is baller. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, right above, I'm gonna guess Nintendo is somewhere on there. Nintendo is represented by Mario, and that's a couple down. Oh. Uh, and obviously, uh, well, Nintendo is represented by Mario and one other thing on the list, which should be easy. Uh, I'm blanking on it. Like Smash Brothers? Is that like No, not that. Not, oh, God. Pokemon. Yeah. There you go. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Yes, Pokemon is the most successful franchise in the world. It is worth $92.121 billion. Good and a majority God. of the money is made out of merchandising, then followed by video games, then trading cards, and then a minor amount in comics, manga, box office, things like that. Wow. The two below Pokemon, uh, the three below Pokemon are Hello Kitty. Which is entirely merchandising, yeah, with a little bit of everything else. Wendy the Pooh, which is again almost entirely merchandising with a little bit of box office and things like that. And then Mickey Mouse, you know, uh, the Disney, the Disney. Disney. <laughs> <laughs> um, Shonen Jump is on this list. A majority of its monies are made in manga. Uh, Harry Potter actually has the most um, even amount of sales between like box office and books and merchandising and you know out of its 30 billion it, it makes it spread out pretty well yeah. Um, I have a question. yeah is, go for uh, it is barbie on that list barbie is that indeed count? yes yeah so barbie is number 16 on the list wow, um, wow. main revenue sources of course merchandising yeah um you know other other staples are on here james bond uh one piece is on here uh, they separate. They separate separate out two of Pixar's franchises, specifically Toy Story being very successful, and obviously Cars merchandising being, you know, this unstoppable juggernaut. I guess to to make Disney lower on the list, because um, <laughs> if, if you put all those in the put all those in Disney, it would just put them at the top. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's it's interesting, That's you know, and I think. That's insane to me. Like, but it makes like it's a lot of sense why Pokemon would be the most yeah. like financially money. successful. Yeah, it is the most financially successful. Yeah, giving you guys a bit of a yeah. behind the curtains on this. Uh, Tommy from Takara Tommy used to own like some of the merchandising like conglomerate, like some like some licensing for toys and stuff for Pokemon, and they recently lost that. And it's like. That company has not been the same since, and it's like, wow, does that make a, a lot of sense mm -hmm. uh, as far as where they're doubling down or trying to get their money in from other places? There used to be such a uh, an ability to be creative and let let out whatever the heck they wanted, but after, like when that Pokemon money stopped coming in, it's like, oh, we got to really tighten our belts and uh, <laughs> make sure everything that comes out is a success because, as corporations will tell you, we can't make 
as much money as we did last year. God forbid we make less. Every year has to be an increase, regardless of whether or not we lost our cash cow this year or not. So uh, I'm excluding one franchise here from uh, this statement because Disney Princess is considered a a franchise that started in the 2000s, which I think is BS because obviously Disney Princesses were along much longer than that just because they changed their branding in 2000s. Pokemon is the second youngest franchise on this list. Yeah. At 1996. Oh, I'm sorry. Third youngest franchise. Harry Potter's got it beat by one year. Yeah. 1997. Good God, though. I mean, that's just like, I mean, from zero to a hundred, like, you know, I I don't understand how people could ever like look at Nintendo and think even for a second, like this, these guys aren't the big leagues when they clearly came in late, they captured our hearts and and I know wallet, and they milked us for everything we had. And your wallet. Cha-ching, cha-ching, money eyes. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, they, with Pokemon, they were so smart because they hopped on immediately, hopped on the card hype, video because it started as the video game, hopped on the anime hype, hopped on the movie hype, hopped on the merchandise, and they tested out everything, and it worked. Well, and you, st- I stand by my my early statements. Marketing departments play yeah. a huge role in franchises, right? Oh, you want a successful game? That's great. Got to get yourself an anime. Got to get us sell some comics. Oh, got to get us sell some toys. But that's not necessarily what happened with Pokemon. Like, let's let's think back on this because, like, especially when we talk, when we look at like the advertising for Pokemon when it first started. Um, you look at the style of how that those games were pitched they're vastly different from what eventually ha- came around and like well yes there was an anime and that was in the works but like I, the games did have to be successful first before that happened oddly enough now it's not like that now like everything's got to come out at once and there's a there's arguably i'm not going to sit here and poo poo on sword and shield i don't think there's any reason to but obviously that development hits some some hurdles and some troubles because hey the anime's coming out all of our merch is going out everything's got to hit the shelves at the exact same time you can't wait to implement whatever the heck you're saying you want to do this comes out now like or this comes out now not later not yeah. whatever time it has to hit with everything else or else the pokemon plan don't work yeah and it's more important to sell it because they know people are going to buy it anyway regardless of the quality people are yeah. going to buy it anyway on release day and they're going to buy the merch and they're going to buy every little thing connected to it the new booster packs yep because the cards yeah the cards had all were all coming out at the same time like it's just what has to happen and this is not to say that you bought a, a poor product or something but like as been has been explained there were some issues with the game at like as it came out not necessarily making it unplayable or even a bad game it wasn't by any far stretch yeah. of the imagination but there are issues that would have been fixed had it taken longer in the oven and probably some things the creators would have liked to have had had they been given the time to make it as any other Nintendo game or most games would have been yeah. given. But it's but that just isn't the way it goes anymore because that franchise has to go and this is their strategy. As well, cause we're, we're going back to what we're talking about. What is a franchise to a, cor- to a corporation? What is it in the money dollars in the way? And it is, it is keeping that engine going for as long as you possibly can it doesn't matter what you have to sacrifice to do it like we we can doesn't matter who you throw into the coal chute to to keep it going it's going like because you need it to and from the fandom perspective i don't necessarily know if that's true i don't know if we would throw 
Like, we would throw people under a bus for our franchise, but I don't know if we'd fuel ourselves uh, on the blood, sweat, and tears just to keep it going for as long as possible. I feel like we have a very different interpretation of it from our perspective, where we'd sacrifice or we'd make, like, you know, we do things to keep it going, but it's, it's a very different perspective. I don't think we'd be willing to work ourselves or to essentially just, like, destroy destroy lives <laughs> in order to keep things in order to keep it going the way it is and to keep the money flowing in I feel yeah. like that got dark but I, I will say though <laughs> there are some franchises where i think that then gets into just how powerful is the fandom because there are some franchises where people will go through blood sweat and tears to keep a franchise relevant before some before yakuza got big here the american fans did do everything they could to push and push and push to get crumbs. Silent Hill fans, Resident Evil fans, until we got Resident Evil 7, were fighting tooth and nail to keep the fandom alive and to keep pushing until we finally got what we wanted. Like, there are... But it is different than, you know, a developed uh, developer team having to kill themselves to be able to make the product they want to. And we go back to... Uh... Uh, to Nintendo product, we go to Smash Brothers as a franchise, which is just, you know, uh, Nintendo doing a victory lap yeah. uh, over how successful all of its franchises yeah. are. Um, its creator, whose name escapes me, James, can you help me out with this? Mihiro Sakurai. Uh, Sakurai. Yeah. yeah. Sakurai, yep. Uh, thank you. So, yeah. But like, Mihiro Sakurai. consistently worked on this franchise, on these games, long past the point of saying, guys, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah um but but he keeps going because like like it's that weird thing of like the the fandom will never be done uh we will never stop hungering for smash brothers we'll need it every every generation every console every time it's talked about in hushed rumors it will be at evo every year um and nintendo will be there like make us the money and (laughs) but like but it's literally like murdering the creator to the point of like i have nothing left this thing i cared about is like like it's draining my soul why why are you doing this to me Uh, well and i i think that gets into and i I don't want to spend too much time here no i'm not saying yeah yeah, i got trained but you know star wars is kind of a, a great example of this like people live and die by a franchise that they might not even like anymore and like that's also okay i don't want people to think that like I feel like people get obsessed with franchises to the point where they have to, you know, like where if it's, if it's no longer for you, you can move on. Like, and well, it might be a little bit harder with star Wars, which is something that can range from having content for little children to like large adults, because it's a sort of multimedia franchise that they're kind of selling. But like you, when you're 40 and you're still obsessed with power Rangers and you're sad, they won't make that grim, dark power Rangers reboot. Like it's not going to happen. Like the, the, the franchise just, it's not for you. It's not for you at any point anymore. Right. You're allowed to still enjoy it, but you can't like, you have to enjoy it in the context in which it exists, not necessarily like wanting to take it and put it in your own context. That said, though, I'd, I'd watch Grimdark Power Rangers. And I'd give it a shot. I, and I will say, I'm still waiting for season three of Sad AM. I know it's not going to come. Oh my God, me I'm too. I'm waiting for it. <laughs> well, I read, so I read all the Archie comics, it's which same. continued off the Sad AM but. thing. So I, I got a little bit of fulfillment for that for you know, for a very long time. 
Yeah. But still, it's not quite the same. Yeah. It's not. But I will say, though... It'd be nice to see it animated. This is what I'll say about this, though. Like, I would say, hey, don't look for your grimdark reboot thing, but, like, uh, James, that happened, though. <laughs> like, there are definitely... Well, there was that. There was a couple of fan projects, right? They no, even no, no, had somebody with more actors. talking about franchises in general. You got oh, dark, yes. gritty reboots of franchises that were very successful in their own way. And, like, I'm not saying, like, hey, you know, this was the answer for everybody or this is what was supposed to happen every time. But, like, for someone to hope and be like, hey, man, wouldn't it be cool if Batman went back to his roots or, like, certain properties get taken over and, like, or go to, like, an anime-inspired kind of take. Uh, Like, there's definitely, like, grim, dark, like, reboots. Like, G.I. Joe! G.I. Joe got its G.I. Joe Resolute with its... Anime styled, grim, dark, like Cobra, like slitting a guy's throat in the middle of the hallway, dumping him on the floor, and being like Cobra. It's like, oh Jesus! Um, like these things happen, though. <laughs> I mean, they may or may not be good, but they happen. <laughs> Still part of the franchise. <laughs> All right, so I guess I have one last question, and then Al, I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to touch on, but. Is there a, a franchise or a property that you would have liked to seen like explode more, right? Something that you you know, your 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 disappointed brave star, <laughs> <laughs> right? The thing that you became obsessed with, but then just kind of like petered out, or, or just stays kind of in its its niche. And Eyes it gets of a hawk, ears of a wolf, brave star. <laughs> Uh, see because i think for me i because i I play a lot of indie games and so there's a lot of things that like oh it'd be cool to see something kind of expand and to see it like i love dead by daylight right now and i feel like that's something that would be kind of cool to see that expand a bit more i'm playing this great game called world of horror and i love that and i would love to see that explored more but there's not really anything that like i feel because of this day and age, there's always that potential with anything, I feel like, especially at least when it comes to video games. So for me, I guess I have more a feeling of there are some franchises where I wish that maybe they would have gone a different direction. Uh, but then even that gets back into that's me as a fan who I'd like to see something different, but that's just the direction the, fr- the fandom went. Like with Silent Hill specifically, I loved four. I loved Shattered Memories. I really enjoyed Downpour. Um, and even though they weren't perfect, even especially Downpour and Shattered uh, Memories weren't Silent Hill games in the sense of Silent Hill games made by Team Silent, they were still really incredible updates to the franchise in a way that I really liked. I would have loved to see the Silent Hill franchise go more in the direction of Downpour. But people were really upset and didn't like it because what they wanted was the first four games over and over and over again. Kind of like how with Resident Evil, it's they everybody wants the first four games over and over again. And that's a franchise where at one point I hoped it would have gone a different direction and then eventually it kind of put itself in that direction and I love where it's at. So I guess I don't really have anything that I'd like to see explode. I don't have a Brave Star, but... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think it's tough too with indie properties. Like you obviously you want to see more of that, but you also don't want 
not to say that, you know, I don't believe in the idea of selling out, but obviously you want it to, to retain some of that independent charm, right? Yeah. And when something explodes so big, generally gets bought by a larger company or something like that. And that can make that, you know, difficult sometimes. Yeah, exactly. What about you, Al? Well, uh, as much as I, I, I do comment on how much I love uh, Brave Star, that's not really the, a franchise I would like to see come back. I feel like it... it <laughs> You're happy with its place. Yeah, it's I feel great. like that's a, that's a product that can only really exist in the 80s You unless you really redid it in a in a very different way. I'm going to repitch it. I'm going to pitch it to Netflix next week, Al. So I mean, you know, you, okay. I mean, again, you could you could redo it in a way that was very respectful to Native American roots, and like it would have to be heavily redone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and like and, pretty much only, and it would only be the same in name. <laughs> it would only be the same in name. It would you'd go to the planet New Tech, like because that planet probably had had inhabitants that lived there before we got there. It wasn't the planet wasn't called New Texas when we got there. So if you wanted to tell a story about that, and like All right next. Next, next episode, how we reboot Brave Star. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Tell me that wouldn't be worthwhile. Like this, that like you have a Native American police officer shows up and just kind of like teaches, like the like not even teaches, but like helps to like bring these actual Native people who live on this planet, liberate it from like the Earth like Alliance people who came over to appropriate their resources. Like it'd be f- freaking awesome. Anyway, but anyway, I, I digress. <laughs> as much as I want to say Mask as as a franchise. Because uh, I love Mask, and I think it's consistently underrated as a like not the Mask as in Jim Carrey the Mask, but Mask no, as in no, Mobile yeah, Armored yeah. Strike Command. Uh, I think that was a great toy line with an okay series that I wish would get some of the recognition that so many other toy lines get, and it's, it sucks. It's a shame. Uh, but no, what I really want to bring up here is I is a is something that's near and dear to both mine, Kits, and also James. Your heart is oh. Shadowrun. Oh, oh, all right, yeah. I would yeah. I would love for Shadowrun to get like any kind of recognition um, as a franchise that's still going on, has video games under its belt, novels under its belt, but like no media that you can really consume. Like there's action figures. There was one line of action figures that came out like uh, late 90s, early 2000s that are okay as far as action figures go, but with no attachment to any of these characters, no media to, to, to associate with them. It, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. There's, there's some Shadowrun novels and we got Shadowrun returns, but that was even, that had to be kickstarted. Yeah. You know, like I and kickstarted. It, that. And those games are great. Yeah. Shadowrun returns, Shadowrun Hong Kong, Shadowrun Dragonfall. Those are great games in their own right. Just good video games. Highly recommend play. I would love for that to be more, to be a bigger and more expansive game. Uh, they did a multiplayer one for the 360 PS3, a long time ago, but it had very little to no resemblance to the source material. It was very strange. But like, I would love to see like a film, like any kind of film, or even like an animated show or something, to kind of go along for a while. Like, it would just be fun to exist in that world, and maybe to invest in some memorabilia and some characters and some action figures that I have any attachment to. It'd be nice. I love these games. I love playing the RPG. Um, I love reading some of the stories and and some of the 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 novels that bring me into the world. But beyond that, I don't have anything. And we we sort of touch on this a little bit. We didn't touch on it a lot. One of the big things, and going back to some of the documentaries we've watched before, they talk about is like how you attach yourself to these franchises is very much how a lot of people attach themselves to religions. And whether or not that's healthy or not is up for a different discussion. That's not the one I'm looking to have right now. <laughs> for but, sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
but it's you still want that physical representation. You want that thing you can hold in your hand and you can have because you have religious iconography and it matters to you to have that, to hold that. And you can't, and to steal an explanation from, uh, from, from toys that made us again, you can rewatch the film a number of times. You can do that, but it's not the same thing. You're watching Harrison Ford as Han Solo. You're not actually like, you don't actually see Han Solo. It's not the same thing. Like, but having that figure to an extent or having something that represents it, that matters a lot. And that matters a lot in franchises, I think, because it, it attaches you, it tethers you to that because you have that physical representation that's right there. And for something that means so much, I think to at least me, to, like, especially me and James, and I think, I hope Kit to an extent, yeah. um, like I'm to this particular to it, franchise, yeah, it's just that we don't have something that we can go back to or, or hold or have and just kind of be like, oh, yeah, this thing. Yeah. And actually, I mean, not not on the Shadowrun front, but I will say, uh, I actually, I don't I don't think I've even really told you about this, Al, but for me, one of the franchises growing up that was very important to me was specifically the Battle Network variation of uh, Mega Man. And oh, so- man, Kit, we would be best friends. <laughs> we <should> <laughs> I love Mega Man Battle Network. Because I have all of the games for the GBA. I got an imported version of the uh, DS version of the fifth game that came out. There was both games on a DS cart. Uh, I just finally, I just recently was able to get a DVD of a couple of the episodes. And one of, uh, a couple of years ago when they made those four inch like Mega Man figures, my uncle got me all of the variations because he knew it was something I really liked. But like the number one thing, like I would say the toy that is nearest and dearest to my heart is this uh, Proto Man EXE figure that I have from Ooh. back when the Anti-Warrior game came out. It's all scuffed up because like my little brother used to like chew on it. And but to me, that is single handedly probably the most important toy in my collection because it has the most sentimental value. I have a ton of the imported um exe figures from japan like the figma style figures like i went on such a kick when i was a kid i found a site that imported them and i got so many of them yeah i mean i gotta see photos (laughs) oh they're all in a box downstairs somewhere i I brought them all over i got that i got i got a really awesome like zero from Mega Man zero figure two that's so sweet um i love the art style of that game yeah oh yeah Mega Man would be great you know i mean and i'm a, i'm a big legends fan so you know like yeah. having get them off the know, moon yeah get Mega Man <laughs> off, off the moon, moon. man that's one of those things, you know, but I mean, Mega Man as a franchise as a whole, Mega Man TM, right, is theoretically very successful, right? Yeah. Maybe, uh, you know, it's hard because I think they ebb and flow, right? Someone yeah. will come out and reinvent it in style, hopefully, uh, in the next generation of people we be obsessed with their version of Mega Man EXE, you know? Yeah. Um, I would love that. You know, and I, I yeah, exactly. And I, I hope to be among the people enjoying that. Um, I would I'm like to actually to... pose one last thing before we decide to, sure, do, to cut do out. Do I get to pick a? Do I get to pick a franchise? Oh, I'm sorry, James. Never mind. Now you know I'm going to throw out. I'm going to throw out Ruby. I think Ruby oh. is like a successful franchise for sure, but it's not like massively successful. And I think, unfortunately, it would be a little bit of its own doing. It's hard. Rooster Teeth being like a relatively high paywall sort of, you know, thing. Um, but you know, I think it's, yeah, I, I think it's, it's a, a franchise that could have a lot more 
to it. I think certainly its world is expansive enough. Its characters are interesting enough. Its style has enough flair to it that it could theoretically have tons of video games and books and comics and things like that. And there's a really limited number of that, you know, whether that's because of popularity or ability, I'm not sure. But, you know, that would be my wish. I think that's a that's a a franchise that could be more successful than it is. But, you know, then maybe don't look a gift horse in the mouth, right? If you like something. (laughs) Yeah, true enough. I I do want to touch on one thing, and this is not to take us into a dark place. In fact, I hope it doesn't. But like (laughs) what what made us drop off? with some of these things that clearly meant a lot to us because we were sitting we're sitting here talking about things we're passionate about things we wish we could succeed and like james said i don't think you really can betray the brand and like i agree with kit like you can't just remake the same four games over and over again that's just not a thing but like there have to be things where we just kind of like this was very important and then it just kind of well then it wasn't i don't know i feel like kit will back me up on this one they just stopped making them (laughs) (laughs) i yeah, with with Mega Man, because especially Battle Network and X were my favorites, and they just stopped making them. Like I count Zero in, kind of, you know. I'd yeah. still be buying them. I ha- I've, yeah, yeah, I'd I've, still be I've buying them. Got like every time they release a collection of the X games, I buy it again. I don't need it, but I do it. I just bought them from my Switch. I don't need it, but I got it. <laughs> I got the GameCube collection. I got the PS2 game. <laughs> For for other things, obviously, I grew out of them. You know what I mean, right? Uh, I loved Power Rangers, but you know, I'm still not watching. I'm not watching Power Rangers, and uh, there's enough far removal from Power Rangers that I don't necessarily need to dig into Power Rangers more adult comic line that they just released or something like that. You know, and then at that end point, it just comes down to time, yeah. right? There are still plenty of franchises that I am still currently obsessed with, right? Star Wars, The Lord of the Rings, my Sonic comics, you know what I mean? Uh, New ones I've gotten into, right? You know, My Hero Academia, New Shonen Jumps. Uh, And then, yeah, it's just also the feeling of completionism, right? Franchises never end, but sometimes you want to feel complete. Yeah, that's that's definitely Uh, I'll use Naruto as an example. Naruto is obviously a multimedia franchise now with a sequel series and tons of movies and books and this, that, and the other thing. But yeah, I really enjoyed Naruto, but I wanted Naruto to end. I wanted to feel that sense of completion, right? I don't need to watch Boruto because I feel like my journey with the product ended. And like, that's not a negative or a positive. It's just a personal. And and I feel like sometimes people will blame their, you know, their personal want for their journey to end on a franchise so that they can feel as if that the franchise did it to them. They didn't do it to themselves. You know, like, oh, well, yeah, then it got bad or, oh, well, the sequel series wasn't as good, you know, and it's like, or maybe you just you wanted to be done. You wanted it to end. You wanted it to move on. Stories are satisfying when they end, but franchises don't. Yeah, that's the point, Uh, because I think to go back to, you know, one of the most successful franchises, Pokemon, for me personally, my Pokemon experience was done after generation three. Like, I loved Ruby, Sapphire, Emerald. I loved Colosseum. I loved Gale of Darkness. But for me, my Pokemon journey was over then, and I was okay with that. 
I occasionally I'll go back and I'll dip in and I'll be, you know, to, to the older games when I'm feeling it. I fully support my friends. Like if I see anything cool Pokemon related or hear new stuff about the new games coming out, I will absolutely keep my friends involved, but it, the franchise is going to keep going on and my enjoyment of it's gone and that's okay. It's not on everybody else, you know, to have to suffer with the, with the franchise going back to what a decade and a half. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like uh, people who are like to comment like, man, po- Pokemon designs, there's an ice cream Pokemon now. I'm like, that's one him. Pokemon out of like yeah. hundreds, my dude. Like you, like there was a there was a Pokemon in Gen One that was literally like a flower. Like, yeah. come on, like it, it's not that much worse, really. Yeah, yeah. Like, like I said, human beings like beginning, middle, and end stories. We like our journeys to have an ending because we live because our bodies live in that perpetual state of hurtling towards their end. All right, that got dark. Um, <laughs> James is here reminding us of our mortality. Thanks, James. Endings. I reminded Al that we're technically seniors in the gaming scene today. And there you go. Oh. <laughs> because franchises don't have endings, but endings are natural. We're all going to have a point where we we leave what we have because we've gotten what we needed out of it. You know, we, we found our ending in that story that we were a participant of and that's totally okay. Right. Yeah. This is my odd little fear about this though. And I'm, 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 we don't have to stay too long on this, but I, I do want to bring up like, is that why people seem so disposable in the name of the franchise, though, like we go back to Iwata, going back to these people with Pokemon and many other people that like go into these works and are beaten or destroyed by them. Um, is it therefore something that seems maybe from like either from even from the fan perspective, not even necessarily from the corporate perspective, as far as getting the money, like from an outside perspective, keeping this thing that will outlive all of us alive if we can make it? Like how, like how much of a sacrifice is that really to, to basically, you know, sacrifice something that is finite for this thing that could be forever? Like, is that what people use as their justification? I think that's a little bit of a fallacy, right? Uh, And I'm going to try to cherry pick some examples here. Sure, sure. Go ahead. But let's go back to say, um, Star Wars, right? People who are making Star Wars now, they're not monsters. They're not people who, you know, only want to make money, you know, even all the way up the line to Kathleen Kennedy. They're people who have a connection to this material, right? And that connection is going to be different than ours, right? The only thing that the media platform is doing is giving that giving them the ability to continue to tell those stories. So uh, this all cherry pick now Ruby, right? You know, Monty Ohm passes away, uh, you know, sometime during production of the third season. And as the series creator, you know, the next season or two after that, they're a little bumpy. You know, you have this team who's being led by this guy that need to find their own footing in this story. And it's going to naturally deviate 
from where he was going because these are their own creators. They're going to have to put their own spin on it. They're going to have to tell part of their own story, you know, and it comes back into its own, but people are all up in arms. Oh, they've betrayed the vision, the this, the that, you know, that's not how this works. Uh, Sakurai, right? You know, he comes back to Smash Brothers because he wants to come back to Smash Brothers. He doesn't need to. They're not sacrificing him. They can eat. They Nintendo can easily make Smash Brothers without Sakurai, and they can probably easily make a very successful, fun, enjoyable Smash Brothers game without Sakurai. Right. I, I know. I'm sure there are Smash Brothers fans literally driving to my house right now to beat the crap out of me. But <laughs> um, by keeping these things alive, what they're doing is they're allowing more creators to come in and tell their stories. They're not doing it at the expense of other people. It it might seem that way, but a lot of that I feel is, is anger and blame that that we bring to a product or to corporations. D- do I think I would love for these things to have natural ends? Sure. But that's, again, like I said, that's not the goal of a franchise. Right. But the goal we- of the franchise is to continue on for as long as it can. Yeah. Uh, fortunately or unfortunately due to, you know, profit margins and circles and graphs and so on and so forth makes sense. And, I, and I'm not trying to sit here and say that uh, my argument or my statement was not to infer that there was a reason or a purpose uh, to do these things or that there there wasn't a choice for some of these people to come in and get involved or to invalidate any of that. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, My my thing about it was to to posit to the the group or to discussion to bounce off of this idea of our finite existence to give up or to sacrifice or to put in our time or away from our kids or to like – because people do sacrifice for these things, for their art, for their work, for the things that they do. And I'm not saying that like they come out with something bad. I'm saying like no, they come out with something great 90% of the time. So when we spend that time away from our families or we put in this effort and these blood and these sweat and these tears – um, is that something that's necessarily worth it in the like service of this thing that outlives us, this thing that's bigger and grander than ourselves? Or is it something that's bigger and grander than ourselves? Is it just a movie? Is it just a, a hunk of plastic that's like been molded to look like Han Solo? Like, is it is it just a, a bed sheet that has He-Man on it, or is it is it in service of something bigger? Is there even something bigger? No, there's nothing bigger. Right. It's it's all those things you said. It's it's just a thing. Right. The reason why the thing has meaning is because we assign meaning and value to it. Right. For corporations, that value equals money. For us, that value equals nostalgia, good feelings, the warm fuzzies. Yeah. You know, that's that's why we come back and the corporations will keep giving it to us because of the dollar sign, dollar sign, dollar signs in their eyes. And I think the important thing is at the end of the day. Some people will, especially if you're a fan of the work, which is kind of the point that a lot of franchises are getting to where they're hiring fans, are willing to put the blood, sweat, and tears into it for that sentimental value. And it's beneficial for the business guys because then they're definitely making their money. But uh, even if it is just, at the end of the day, a hunk of plastic, just a movie, just a video game, that sentimental value is the real value that we found. It's what we bring to the table on it. Is that what you're saying? Like what the yeah. value is, is what we assign to it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what we and the people who are making it assigned to it, right? Yeah. Uh, look, I'm not saying that 
you know, and corporations will pump out bad stuff because they need to make deadlines and do that sort of stuff. But I don't think I'm not not trying to make the argument that like somehow any of these products are bad. Some great products are born out of uh, crunching, like, you know, doing crunch time like that. I want to move that as far away from what I'm trying to say. as But that's not not exactly what I'm saying. What What I'm saying here is that everybody wants to make a good product. A good product sells better. It looks better. It makes us feel more warm and fuzzy. It's it's just good. Everybody yeah. wants something good, right? And we're all going to try and make something good and enjoy something good. And, you know, for those of you who are into franchises for the wrong reasons, uh, you know, James and The Walking Dead a few, you know, 10 years ago. Um, <laughs> just hate watch that show for so long. Um, <laughs> That's a big commitment to hate watch. <laughs> yeah. You do it for the right reasons. Enjoy it for the right reasons. Enjoy yeah. it because it makes you feel good. Don't come there just to crap on it because yeah. there are other people who are enjoying it. Yeah. And enjoy it. Let them enjoy it. Looking at you, Silent Hill, Resident Evil fans. This is <laughs> you can fight me. They're in every crowd. On. Yeah, yeah. Every what are these werewolves crowd. in my zombie game? Listen, in my first person zombie game, I'm here for it. I'm ready. Give me something new. Give me something fresh. <laughs> Give me I'm all about these Louisiana. vampires in, in a Resident yeah. Evil game. Like, oh man, I'm I'm I stand for this. I'm so oh yeah. god. I, I would kill I for some like fresh. Yep. I would kill for some like Southern Bell zombies. I don't think that's what we're going for. They were going Victorian era for it, which yeah. kind of looks like where it is. But I would kill for like some like 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 Southern twang and a smile on her face to show some fangs. I think that's just a really cool aesthetic. Yeah. But uh like we apparently moved out of the South and I'm okay with it. Yeah, it's it's uh much like Resident Evil Four once again. Uh yep. nondescript European town. Yep. <laughs> this is where we're going. Yep. Uh, yeah. But I want to thank both of you so much for joining me on this very like long and emotional journey talking about uh, franchises, you know, what they've meant to us, what they've meant in the, the history of the world and how Pokemon like outshines Disney. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The only like, one who can take down the big mouse is the little electric mouse. <laughs> with that I just again thank you guys so much for joining us uh james hope to see you again uh, great to have you uh kit uh just a pleasure every single time um hope to have you back soon uh, until okay. then good night everybody bye night night yeah <laughs>